Welcome to the Inspired Energy Podcast and the special Roaring 20 series, where we connect with inspiring leaders, experts, and coaches as they reflect on the past decade, sharing their insights, tips, stories, and lessons. And then we look to the upcoming decade, where we discuss their hopes, dreams, goals for their areas of expertise and also the broader humanity. So grab your dancing shoes or your favorite drink as we head into the Roaring 20s. Welcome to another episode of the podcast heading into the roaring 20s today i have dr christy goodwin uh, and i'm really excited about this conversation how are you i'm well thanks mary how are you i am really good i'm uh, excited about this new decade and what it looks like and and chatting to all these different people about their insights and the reflection on the past decade and what's coming up for the next one now you're a digital well-being and performance speaker I help, am. help me understand what that means. So I am a uh, previous teacher and an academic, and I look at the impact that technology is having on both our psychological well-being, on our physical well-being, everything from our eyesight to our hearing and our musculoskeletal health, um, right through to how it's impacting our performance and productivity. And um, I, I am a self-confessed nerd. I love research and science, um, but I became a frustrated academic because I could see that all of this great research was being done, um, and apologies to any academics that are listening, but academics <laughs> are terrible at disseminating it to the people on the ground. Um, I knew as a, as a parent what confusing and conflicting I, advice mm. I got about kids and technology and screen time. Um, and I knew that all of this great research, research was being done and the science was coming out at you know, really um, alarming rates, but it wasn't getting translated into information that people could digest and, and use. So I sort of see myself as a conduit between the research and science. Um, and I take that and I love taking that, but making it practical and relevant so that people can actually apply it to their lives. Wow. I, and I said to you just before we started the conversation about how important this is, um, I catch the train often into Sydney for work and everyone is hunched over and this, this spinal sort of impact as they're all hunched over, looking at their devices, not connecting with each other. And then my, uh, my concern is, and I think the reality is, they then go into an office somewhere and then sit down all hunched over looking yeah. at a device as well. And that's yeah, they're adults. Yeah, yeah, Technic, that's the official, unofficial name for it. Uh, but this idea that hunched over, when we look down at a, a handheld device, be it a smartphone or a tablet, it puts an average of 27 kilograms of pressure on our neck. So you could imagine over the course of a day, the cumulative impact of that. Um, and anecdotally, when I speak to physiotherapists and chiropractors, they're rubbing their hands together because they're treating yeah, increasing wow. numbers of people with a whole range of musculoskeletal issues. Issues. And I'm very practical. My, my, I don't recommend digital amputation. So my philosophy mm. isn't, well, let's say ban it or avoid it. That's completely unrealistic and impractical in the 21st century. But my strategy is, well, how can we integrate this technology in optimal ways? How can we leverage the benefits that it offers us without it having the adverse impacts on it? And my approach is that we need to tame the technology so that we're not a slave to the screen. We need to use it and develop habits um, you know, in your, 
that instance where you're talking about it, using it in ergonomically correct ways, um, putting boundaries on it. Um, you know, one of the biggest things when I work with corporate clients is that technology now robs us of moments of white space. You would have previously, if you'd caught the train to Sydney, I would imagine years ago, if you had done the same thing, you would have seen people sitting there possibly napping or possibly looking out the window and daydreaming. And our brains were never designed to be switched on processing yeah. 24-7. And, and I, I, I totally agree. And I, I, the other thing I'm picking up on too is that interaction with the people around you. In the past, yeah. the, those devices weren't there. You'd, you'd get to connect with people. Uh, you, you chat, you might even talk about the weather or something that's happening in current society. But now it's, there's that connection, isn't there? And it's, yeah, well, it's a, it's a physical impediment to conversation. Mm. Um, you know, even if you're wearing the big earmuff headphones, that is a physical, very <laughs> overt sign to somebody saying, leave me alone. Do not talk to me. Yeah. Um, but what we know is that, um, and this is one of my concerns as a researcher in this space, and this is just a Christie hypothesis at this stage. I want to make that very clear. But I think one of, the reasons that we're seeing um, and it's certainly not the only reason and this is not about blaming technology but one of the reasons we're seeing such a significant increase in mental health issues um, amongst adolescents amongst young people and amongst employees and adults is because we have become we've got connectivity without connection mm. our most basic one i think well, according to needs theory we have three most the three basic psychological drivers and our number one need psychological need as humans is for relational connection we are hardwired to belong and to interact and this is why social media has become so popular yeah. why young kids multiplayer video games have become so popular why for us as adults we go on holidays and find the one bar of wi-fi just to check our inboxes because we're yes. hardwired for that connection and when we start to understand some of our psychological needs we can see how technology can either help or hamper that and you know in the uk i don't know if you're aware that they now have a minister for loneliness yeah well i did it, hear that and and is, and i totally understand that and i don't think it's a uk issue it's, oh, it's a global of course issue not. they're being proactive in terms yeah. of dealing with it but it's, it's ironic because these technologies that were designed to connect us mm. can do that if we're again if we're in control if we're taming them and we're using it and cultivating relationships in a healthy way but they can also be a massive impediment you know um, a lot of parents say they feel the digital pull they can be watching their kids at swimming lesson um, lessons but now that screens are omnipresent they can pull out the phone and be dealing with a crisis in the office at work so yeah, yeah. again it's about the, the behaviors that we put in place and the strategies yeah. Um, and I, the, you've talked about adults and also children. And I know that part of the work you do is to help children and parents of, of children to set some better guidelines or standards or, or behaviours at that earlier age. Uh, because again, I, some of the information you shared with me is about children learning to swipe and tap before they do some of the simplest little functions in life. Yeah. And that's a concern, yeah. isn't it? It, it really is. And I think the onus really, um, when I run, when I talk to parents, my key message to parents is that you've got to be the pilot, mm. not the passenger of the digital plane. And a lot of parents are wanting to abdicate responsibility and say, but my three-year-old or my five-year-old knows more about the technology than what I do. And I often remind parents that probably is the case. Use that to your advantage. You know, get them programming the Blu-ray DVD player without the manual. Get them setting up your smartphone. Yeah. What they don't have, young children, in fact, not even till they're in their 20s, they lack the brain architecture. They don't have the impulse control um, to self-regulate until they're in their 20s. And I know that is 
painful to hear as a parent, mm -hmm. not children, and we've got a long road ahead of us, but they don't have the, the brain skills and competencies to manage this technology. So they can get very easily seduced by the screen. Um, this is why they throw, I call them techno tantrums when you yes. ask them to digitally disconnect. Uh, this is why we've got parents of teenagers who are pulling their hair out because their kids are tethered to technology constantly. Yeah. Uh, it, and in parents' it, defense, going through this. Keep going. Sorry. We had sorry. a little. Yeah, a, yeah no, I, I, was I, was, say, I was one yeah. of those connection <laughs> issues. <laughs> There's a pregnant pause. Um, yes. Yeah, we're the first generation of parents who are navigating this digital terrain. So mm. we, um, you know, we grew up, most of us uh, as parents grew up spending time with people, not with pixels. We yes. stared at I nodded a screen. And so we have been thrust into this digital world with our kids and we're all looking around at each other saying, look, how are you doing this? And so um, in parents' defence, you know, this is not parent shaming. We're looking for advice. We're looking for guidance. But, you know, we've got no frame of reference. We can't go back to our childhood that was predominantly analogue. Yeah. And that also induces a lot of guilt. You know, we compare the digitalised childhoods our kids and teens are experiencing with our nostalgic memories of screen-free, summer holidays you know building cubby houses and eating ice cream to the beach and then we have pangs of guilt um and you know often the popular media doesn't help because we are constantly bombarded with information mm. about all the perils and dangers of the online world and so it's a really tricky landscape for parents to navigate I like what you said earlier too. I think that's a really important message that you share about it's not digital amputation. It's not trying to swing that all the way back the other way. In this day and age, the, the technology is everywhere, but how do we be the masters of that technology yes. and the technology not be, and the devices be the masters of us? Absolutely. And that applies no matter what audience I'm speaking to, whether it's parents mm. or employees and executives, technology makes a great servant. It should never be your master. And for many of us, it is our master. You know, as adults, we salivate like Pavlov's dogs every time we get an alert or a notification. Um, we experience um, techno stress or there's a condition, believe it or not, called email apnea, where we literally hold our breath when we go into our inboxes. We dump a whole lot of cortisol, our heart rate accelerates, and that's just checking emails. <laughs> None of us are immune to this technology and... Um, it's hard, you know, we yeah. struggle as adults. I think we can then begin to appreciate how tempting and alluring the online world is for our kids. I, um, I think the other element that I think about with this conversation around the, the end of the decade, how quickly it's happened in the past 10 uh, years. It's been uh, rapid. It's been so exponential, hasn't it? It really has. In fact, we call that in the digital world, we call it the penetration rate. And the penetration rate describes how many years it takes a technology to penetrate 50 million worldwide users. Okay. So I don't know if anyone can remember when the internet used to dial up, but that took about 12 years until 50 million people had dial up. Facebook took four years. YouTube took two years until 50 million people adopted it. Um, Angry Birds took 35 days. Pokemon Go, when it took off yep. one to two days. Wow. So the growth is exponential and parents feel like they're on the back foot. Their kids mm. are always one step ahead. And so this is why I go back to that message. Parents have got to be the pilot of the digital plane. Um, and we need as adults to be good digital role models. And, and it's hard, especially when the boundaries between work and home have become very blurred. You know, we don't get a psychological break from our work now because we've got, 
you know, ubiquitous technology that's constantly vying for our attention. I think you said something earlier that really resonated with me as well. And that's just the need as humans for that white space, for that time uh-huh. of no connection of time to daydream, to just think, to even to actually think about nothing yes. and how important that is as well for our own well-being. Do you know what? I'm doing a lot of work with corporate clients and this is the hardest strategy to try and get over the line. But when it finally does, if I ever get a breakthrough and, and people say, oh, you know, I didn't, didn't believe what you were saying about being bored and having white space. I thought it was a bit of a woo-woo kind of thing. I sort of got the condescending pat on the shoulder. But when they actually implemented it, the impact is profound. Mm. Um, you know, our prefrontal cortex, the logical smart part of the brain needs a break. And we used to call it daydreaming. Um, Neuroscientists actually call it the default mode of thinking. Um, But that white space allows us to come up with creative ideas and solve problems that we've spent months um, agonising over. And we need to do it. A a really interesting study was done with adults a couple of years ago and they put them in a room and said, look, sit there and be bored for 15 minutes. Now, I'm a mum whose kids still put their fingers under the bathroom door. So the idea of sitting in a room by myself being bored (laughs) minutes sounds like utopia Um, I didn't I didn't participate in the study but what was fascinating was that they had to terminate the study because the adult participants showed signs of psychological distress so they went back and repeated the study and in iteration two they gave the participants the option of self-administering a small electric shock in lieu of boredom wow 69% of males 24% 24% females elected to give themselves an electric shock. You said that step quite proudly, might I just add. Well, I'm giving you brain-based reasons. Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not male bashing. Um, we know that the male prefrontal cortex, it doesn't fully develop until late 20s. Yes. The female prefrontal cortex develops in the early 20s. So with given the demographic of the participants, there was a greater number of um, younger males in this mm-hmm. particular study. Um, there was, I won't reveal the gender, I'll let you hypothesise and your listeners, but there was one participant who gave themselves 108 electric shocks in that, that 15 minutes. So we don't know how to be bored, but yeah. habitualised behaviour. We fill the white space now with the scroll mm-hmm. of the screen. I, I, I actually want to just refer to a quote I heard from Simon Sinek as well. And mm-hmm. he talked about that teams develop before the meeting starts mm. and this process of... Uh, or this behavior, this habit people have of turning up for a meeting with their devices. We're all on our devices, checking emails, checking social media, whatever we're doing. And then, you know, Bob turns up, let's start the meeting, put the devices down. But, and I, I work with teams, I work with leaders all the time. And that just resonated so much to me that people need to put those down and connect because then we expect people to work as a team um, when the meeting starts, but we're not even actually connecting as humans even before the meeting starts. Absolutely. And we've got this um, false belief, I believe, that we are connecting on these devices. But Mm. what is communicated digitally is absolutely no replacement um, for real, you know, human to human connection. You know, in years gone by, as that example, before the meeting would have started, you would have heard about Bob's terrible golf game on the weekend. And Margaret would have told you about the great 60th birthday party that she just had. And they really bond teams. And, um, you know, we can use... You know, social media, LinkedIn can be a great stimulus for real conversation. You know, hey, I saw that post, you know, I can't believe you went to Boston and presented at that conference. Yeah. 
again, so it's not about saying the technology is doom and gloom, but if we're not in control of it, or if we're not putting boundaries around it, yeah. um, you know, as you said, even in meetings, the physical presence of devices has been shown to really reduce the quality of interactions. Even if devices are face down and on a table, just their mere presence is enough to, um, to change the way we collaborate. So the, the research I heard in the last couple of years, and um, I might need to test this number and I hope you can validate it, it was that just having your device physically present, you don't need to be touching it, drops that cognitive ability up to 15%. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I've read similar things. It, it really is. Um, that's why I say to people, you, you know, keeping it out of your bedroom, if you want good quality sleep, and I know a lot of people say, oh, it's on airplane mode and it's on do not disturb. But what I say to them is that it's the mental trigger. You roll over and wake up and you see your device and it's the trigger for, I wonder if that client replied mm, to that email. Mm. I wonder if I'm going to have to have that awkward conversation via text when, you know, I wake up. So it, it is that carving out those boundaries so that we're in control of it. Does Is it all doom and gloom? No, no, so how- it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we're not destroyed. No, I think you, but you did, you did mention, you know, uh, picking up on if someone's done something really well on LinkedIn and hearing that and talking about that and using that as a stimulus for the conversation. But I think that's just part of the challenge, isn't it? Around getting that message of, yes, there's some real challenges around, the um, impact of devices and how they can be the, the controlling element as opposed to us being controlled, but getting back that back to what is the good of it and how that really does help us as well in our day-to-day lives. Absolutely. I think we need to, as I said before, leverage the benefits that it offers mm. us. You know, we can collaborate in ways we've never been able to collaborate before. Um, you know, the, the, even the sheer fact that we can have video conferences and meetings allows us to collaborate with a greater number of, of people. Uh, we can um, access to data. We've got access to huge amounts. And that, that's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, we call it infobesity, this idea that there is just so much information mm. um, um, and, and often I know when we a lot of clients tell me they're going to present a pitch or they're writing a presentation and they think they've got it nailed and then they make the big mistake of doing just a quick Google search for something else and then they realise yep. they go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of, oh, I haven't even analysed this aspect or there's a whole data set here I could include. Um, so access to information is huge. Um, I think our capacity to um, create content in dynamic ways, um, you know, revisit content. Um, so work is a lot more dynamic and flexible. Yeah. But the flip side of that is that it is dynamic and flexible. And so, you know, again, we need to go back to our basic psychological and human needs. What boundaries, what strategies are we putting in place so we can get those benefits and utilize all of the wonderful strengths technology offers us mm. without it eroding our well-being and our, our performance. And I think the biggest threat we are seeing at the moment and the one that we're going to see in the next um, decade is the threat to our attention. We, yeah. we have to be in control because these devices have been designed to hijack our attention. Mm. Um, You know, even something as simple on YouTube and Netflix, the autoplay feature is now the default setting. So when we use these tools, we we often go into something called the state of insufficiency. We never feel done or complete. So I reflect back on the eighties. I was a child of the eighties and you would, you would um, live with anticipation for a week for the new episode of a TV show to come out. 
and you would be excited when it came out. And I was like, oh my God, did you see that last night at school? And you were so, and now it's like, oh, just, just the next one comes on and you're being fed. And I think that does change our, our mindset, that binge watching, that, that information just being, you know, bombarded onto you. Um, but, and I, I guess that's a, an element I try and bring to my life and to the children is you, that delayed gratification um, yeah. comes with lots of benefits. Absolutely. Um, really, really important. That's why kids still need outdoor unstructured play. They need to work on projects for a sustained period of time. So they get used to that idea because they are living in a world that is instantly gratifying and always rewarding. And that's in their defense through no fault of their own. That That's the digital world they're immersed in. Mm. But we need as, as educators and parents is to carve out time so that they can. This is why I say to parents, one of my three B's that I recommend as a pilot of the plane, have boundaries, make sure the basic needs aren't being compromised. And the third one is allow them to be bored. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is, if you can give your kids those three Bs, they will thrive in, in the next um, decade and beyond. So balance. Balance. Oh, sorry, no, a basic a boundaries. Boundaries. The boundaries are, and more than just how much. So many parents obsess over screen time. I'm actually going to propose that moving into the next decade, that's going to be a redundant concept. The how much isn't creek really that critical what are they doing with it is it value yeah. add is it leisure is it learning is it age appropriate so definitely boundaries can um, i just say that there's one there that i think is is so important it's the mindless scrolling oh, yes. that that you see people doing it's just it, and i I've, I've slipped into it I'm, I'm far from perfect and i can i have that sense sometimes like what am i doing i've just scrolled for five minutes and it added no value added no value to my life yeah. And often I find guilty of that too. We tend to do that more um, with social media and also when we're tired. Mm. And I go back to how our brain's working. When we're tired, our prefrontal cortex that manages our impulses turns off. And so what happens is we find it a pleasurable thing to do. So our brain starts to release dopamine and dopamine actually further powers down that prefrontal cortex. This is why, you know, when you're tired, you eat one bar square of chocolate and one becomes two, becomes four. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. That same analogy, that dopamine floods the logical part of the brain. And so we, we're getting that, that dopamine hit because we're craving it because we're tired. So, um, so boundaries are very important. And then boundaries. basic needs, basic, basic needs. needs. And I think this applies, well, this is what I deliver in parent seminars. So much of this is what I speak about to corporate clients too. We've got to have boundaries in place. We've got to make sure that our basic needs, are we sleeping? Mm. Are we being physically active? Are we having real human connection? Yeah. Are we having opportunities to play and be bored? And the third one is boredom, um, carving out that boredom. Yeah. And, and, and for adults, just as much as children. Absolutely, if not more so. Some of the really big um, corporate clients I'm working with, law firms, uh, technology companies, I'm proposing that if they want to flourish and optimise their productivity, um, a couple of years ago, Google actually had pockets of time where they encouraged their employees to do non-work-related tasks. So they actually ironically prescribed, not boredom, but non-related activities. So they were encouraged to do things because they could see it would bolster productivity in the end. Now, I want to look forward the next 10 years. We're about to hit 2020, the next decade, the roaring 20s, hopefully. Mm -hmm. What is your hope, Christy, for the next decade? Look, I, I'm on a mission that people will learn to develop healthy and productive um, habits and behaviours around the technology. Technology is here to stay, whether we love it or loathe it. It's, you know, the internet's not going to be uninvented and the iPad won't disappear. Uh, the technology, if anything, is going to grow 
you know, even more rapidly mm. if we look at that penetration rate. I want us just to foster um, healthy and sustainable habits. So we tame the technology and, and leverage it, um, not so that we're a slave to the screen. And I think that requires us predominantly as adults to reevaluate how we're using it um, and to optimise it in, in productive ways. Mm. And what about you personally? Is there anything you'd, you'd love to share and put out there that, that is your hope that you hope to achieve um, with the work that you do in the next 10 years? I'm really on a mission to share um, science-backed strategies that will actually work so that people, um, you know, that I can take the, the continuing research, and it is still emerging, I often say, in many regards, we're conducting a bit of a living experiment. We've got no idea what the yeah. long-term impact is. So my mission is to keep staying abreast on top of the research and share that, whether that's through speaking or writing, um, so that we can all... Um, develop the best habits around these digital tools that are just, you know, we're going to have wearable technology, augmented reality in the next couple of years. Yep. They're literally on our doorstep um, and they offer both positives, but there are some perils behind them if we're not taming the tech. Yeah, of course. Now, <clears throat> a question I've been asking everybody is imagine uh, I could give you access to a sky rider and that plane can fly <laughs> around the sky around the whole earth and give a message to absolutely everybody around the earth and they're going to see your message. They're going to see it and they can't avoid it. What's the message that you would with, love to give everyone? Okay, I wish I had this with kids because it would be clean your bedroom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna go with a more global macro message here. Um, it would be tame technology so you're not a slave to the screen. Oh. Yeah, yep. and, and I'm using a Skyrider, not uh, some digital not medium a to do that. No. <laughs> Um, th I, that time has gone so fast. It's been such a great, great conversation. You've shared so much value, so much insight. I love um, just your openness and your generosity in what you know and what you do. Um, where's the best one place online for people to connect with you? Uh, my digital home is at uh, Dr. Christy Goodwin. So it's just Dr. Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y, and then goodwin.com. Com. So I'll make sure that link is in the notes for people to come and check you out. You do amazing work, as you said, with corporates, with parents, with children, with all ages, mm. helping them not become slaves to their device and be the master, be the pilot. Um, I've learned so much just to help me and with the clients I work with. And as a father of three, um, I'm, my wife and I are certainly going to be um, taking on board some of these pointers as well. So thank you so much. It's been no, great. No, it's been really great appreciate it. Thank you. It is. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you got something out of this episode, make sure you share it on social media, hashtag inspired energy, and also use the hashtag roaring twenties and look out for the next episode of the roaring twenties podcast series.